Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Posted at Smirkanish.com and in all of my social media right now is an essay by my next guest, Catherine Schweit, an FBI special agent who retired in 2017 after 20 years created and ran the agency's active shooter program after the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary School back in 2012. She is the author of Stop the Killing. Here's one paragraph from the essay that she published at the New York Times. Quote, The day after the FBI released its latest active shooter figures, Robb Elementary School was attacked. In the past two years, the Uvalde School District had hosted at least two active shooter trainings, according to reporting by the Times. One of them was two months ago. The words now I want to underscore. Current protocol and best practices say officers must persistently pursue efforts to neutralize a shooter when a shooting is underway. This is true even if only one officer is present. This is without question the right approach. This is Catherine Schweit. Catherine, thank you so much for being here. Can that be taught? In other words, you know that we're now evaluating why in about 80 minutes was there not the sort of response that it seems 
you are the architect of. And I'm wondering, maybe some of us just don't have it in us to respond in a real situation. You know, I I like that you that you say that because I think that's the humanity involved in it. But the reality is that 800,000 police officers in the United States chase after people every day and face life and death situations. And that's why you're in policing. So, I mean, it's hard as a, you know, I'm, I was trained to carry a gun and ran around with a gun with my heart racing and knew that there were situations when I might be in that, uh, facing that kind of situation. And when you train to it, that's exactly why you train to it. So that's the frustration for me. And that's why I wrote the op-ed piece because yes, this is, it, this is what they should do. And I get that somebody might not be able to do that, but then they shouldn't be in policing. But maybe they don't know until that moment finally arrives. Maybe no amount of training. Maybe I'm great. I, I knew as as a mediocre athlete in high school, there were some who were <laughs> great in practice. And all of a sudden, when the Friday night lights went on, it was a whole different situation. No, I agree. You know, I mean, I agree that it's it's not an absolute. You don't know until you face it. You don't know until you face it. But our officers around the country face it every day. And if there were 19 officers in a hallway, surely every Somebody. one of them was yeah. not that, that person. So Sandy Hook occurs in 2012. Tell me about you, your career, and the role you played post-Sandy Hook. Well, I had been uh, a prosecutor in Chicago, joined the FBI, and was working counterintelligence. But when Sandy Hook occurred... Um, you know, I was I was voluntold, hey, you need to be part of this uh, Vice President Biden's White House team. And so I joined with uh, DHS, HHS, Department of Education and other agencies. And we, you know, put together this, hey, what can we do to stop this? And it was really kind of a combination of things. And the police training was just part of it. Run, hide, fight was part of it. There were better, let's create better uh, emergency operation plans for schools and businesses and hospitals and churches. So I worked on all these kinds of little pieces, but as it turned out, because we were the only law enforcement group, I really, uh, I had to focus on that. And so we, um, we found there was no data, for instance, to talk about these shootings. So we started gathering police reports and did re- release the first report. I authored the first report on, on uh, active shooters in the United States using police data. Um, and it gave us a better picture of what we were facing. And what we saw is that these shootings were increasing and when, I will just say this. When I was in the FBI and released this report, we thought they were increasing. And, and we had like high numbers of 17 a year, 15 a year, 12 a year. Right last year, the FBI reported 61 shootings like this that fit into their category of active shooters compared to 17 when I left the FBI. I imagine you needed to wrap your head around Sandy Hook columbine and the others that had already occurred that must have been a distressing part of the job yeah i didn't really you know i didn't count on on this and i think it it is it's just it's really disturbing and i just was i was speaking to somebody just the other day you know i'm retired i don't you don't get paid to do this Um, you know you know what it's like you don't make any money on a book i did write a book but that's to get it out of my head um and yet I can't seem to walk away from this. I'm so frustrated. I feel like we just have to find a better way to do this. And I feel like we're getting, we're going backwards. I'm, I'm so angry about it. it keep, it's run, like stupid. It just keeps me up at night. Run if you can. Hide if you must. Finally, fight to survive. Does that hold up? 
Yes. Yes. It holds up everywhere in the country, everywhere in the world. It holds up and accept that we don't teach kids to do that for the most part in school. Some school districts do. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm looking for some that we can highlight. Um, but most of the time we, you know, you're in the park, you're in the movie theater, you're, uh, you know, in a, in a grocery store, what are you going to do when something happens? What are you going to encourage your kids to do? You're going to encourage them to run. And so I just, that's, that's the other part of the run, hide, fight. Run you is the first thing. It's your natural you say, instinct. You have to do in it. Your, in your essay, you say, I remember telling my children that if someone approached them in a car while they were walking, they should run as fast and as far as possible. Yet in many school settings, we have mistakenly discouraged students from trying their best to simply stay alive. What does that mean, actually? When you, when you don't teach your kids in schools to run, you give somebody else the decision for them. They're in the best position to know if they need to go out a window or out a door. And I can, I can identify kids who are alive today because they went outdoors when, in, when, when a shooting occurred, even though their training was to stay locked down. And, and I, that makes me angry because why are we giving kids' lives away? We shouldn't be doing that because we are selfishly worried about when I was in the White House team at Mr. Biden's office, the Department of Education people argued with me about whether or not we should uh, talk about fighting and running, and that's too dangerous. The teachers need to control where the kids are. We can't let a first grader go out the back door. Well, the first graders who went out the back door at Sandy Hook are alive today. So we can. We can teach them to do that. This is Catherine Schweit, by the way, author of the book Stop the Killing. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish 
50 and use code smirconish 50 because you'll get 50% off that's code smirconish 50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish 50 get your 50% off listen to michael live weekdays on potus sirius xm channel 124 and on the sxm app this is Catherine Schweit, by the way, author of the book Stop the Killing. What do you make of the move among some to arm teachers? Is that the solution? Is that a solution? I know that school districts are doing that, and I respect that you know, districts are going to do what they want to do. But I don't think that's the solution. And, and, and one of the major reasons I don't think it is, and I recognize that it's different district to district, uh, urban setting versus someplace in Montana. Uh, but for me... Uh, every teacher I know, every teacher I talk to, they're trained to take care of children. They're trained to teach children. They're trained to help children thrive. I don't know any teacher who said they thought they could raise a gun and, and shoot a student who's standing in front of them. And when we did the research in the FBI, middle school students shoot up their middle school and high school students shoot up their high schools. So you're talking about a teacher who's going to have to raise a gun to kill a child that they know. I just don't see that happening. I just see more situations where we have a gun in an, in a volatile environment, and that's not necessarily helpful. I had a guest on the program about a week ago, Dr. Jillian Peterson, who had just published with a co-author mm-hmm. a study about yeah, what project. is, you know, okay, you know the project, and and she was she was a great guest as you are in talking in her instance about the commonalities of who are these people, what 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 do they hold in common, how can we anticipate where the next one will come from? From your perspective as an FBI agent and someone who created and ran the the active shooter program, what insight might you share with us about the bad guys? Well, I think the first thing for from a listener perspective is no matter who the bad guy is. The bad guys leak this information to everybody else. People around them see, you know, a person on a, on a, on a violence trajectory is going to plan and prepare what they're going to do. So they're going to buy equipment and they're going to run surveillance on the location that they want to do. And they're going to write down their plans and they're going to leak their plans on maybe their social media sites and send pictures of themselves with other people. So they leak a lot of it. And then who sees that? Who sees that? Um, and because you know who does it and why they do it, which is the question you asked me. But who sees it? Uh, schoolmates, FBI research, ninety-two percent of the time, schoolmates see and hear that something is going to happen. Eighty-seven percent of the time, spouses and domestic partners. Seventy-five percent of the time, teachers and school staff. So people see and hear. And who are they seeing and hearing from? They're hearing from people who have ideological problems, grievance collectors. Everybody's against me. People who isolate themselves by choice, uh, 30 to 40 percent of them want to commit suicide. So a lot of the same uh, individuals who what you think of characteristics of somebody who commits suicide, but also people who are, you know, just yesterday, the uh, Department of Justice released its summary of terrorist threats for the United States and said the single highest uh, primary concern they have is mass casualty uh, violence in the United States by lone offenders and the highest concern that they have with regard to that is white supremacy. Tell me who released that. I need to read that. Department of Justice summary of terror. It was released by DHS summary of terrorist threats to the United States. You say that every shooting is evaluated in three parts. Explain. Every we when we're looking at how we can make things better, we always say, you know, how can we have prevented? uh, What's the best way to respond? 
and how can we help the community recover? So how can we prevent, you know, 10 of, 10 of the 14 chapters in my book, uh, not to plug a book again, sorry about that, but are about prevention, 10 of 14 chapters. There's so much we can do in prevention in terms of identifying a subject, what, you know, his behaviors of concern are, what we can do, who to report it to, how to have a good threat assessment team in your school or in your business, um, what you can do to help the police, because the police are the last people who are going to hear about a problem. So everybody else knows first. So that prevention part is essential. And then response is we have, everybody has to know and understand what run, hide, fight is. It's a simple concept. You know, look it up online. It's free training. If you don't get it in your own business or school, police officers have to respond to go to neutralize the shooter directly. That's generally what's done. It wasn't done in Texas. That's the frustration that all of us feel right now. And I know that will all pan out as we get our DOJ research on it. And I noticed they just announced the team who's going to do the going to do the DOJ study um, out of the cop's office. And then recovery is how do we take care of our victims? How do we take care of our survivors? How do we bring the community back to normal? Financially, how do we support the community? After Sandy Hook, I signed off uh, because I needed to. I mean, I was the DOJ person to do that on millions of dollars that went up for mental health care for law enforcement officers and for their overtime. Can you imagine in Texas what those officers feel like knowing that they couldn't help those kids? No, they can't. They're they're victims. They are victims, too. They're survivors, too. And we have to take care of those officers. Or just like we saw at the Capitol, we're going to see suicides. And we know that. Law enforcement knows that's coming. What do you most want to know about Uvalde? I want to know um, whether or not the officers who were there were doing groupthink and, and, and failed to move forward because of that. Um, because I think that's something that we can train to, uh, because we've trained to say, look, you know, you have to do this, but groupthink is a very hazardous thing. Uh, and when they start to say, well, I'll do something else, I'll take kids out of the West wing of the building and I won't worry about the shooter in the East wing of the building. Uh, yeah, let's go do that. That kind of group think takes us away from their what their primary training is. Well, how does that take root? How does how does group think in in a circumstance like this? Like, wh- what's the origin of it? One a person who control, says a lack of a person in charge. Right. Incident command. You know, if the fire chief or if the police chief was on scene as we know he was, wherever he was, uh, if it was his jurisdiction, and he, you know, the first officer on scene is the person in charge. That's kind of the rule. So the first officer on scene is, is the incident command until more people come in and other people, maybe maybe a, a senior officer comes in and says, okay, I've got this. But you have to have somebody in charge. And without, and this is, this is based on my experience and not based on any facts about Texas, but I'm saying that based on my experience, nobody was in charge of that scene. And I think that's what frustrates law enforcement who works in an incident command concept, all of us, all over the United States for decades have said somebody has to be in charge, doesn't have to be the chief, but it has to be somebody in charge. And when nobody's in charge, then you got people running around. And that's what it seems like we saw. Lacking your experience and knowledge of this subject matter, when I look at that timeline, I I say, okay, maybe I can give the benefit of the doubt that initially they stood down because they thought it had become a barricaded situation, if that's the proper lingo. But then uh, several more minutes elapse and there's more shooting. At that moment, for God's sakes, they should have stormed the room. Right. You're right. And I completely agree with that. I mean, that's not... 
you know, every law enforcement officer, and not to use every, but, you know, every law enforcement officer should, should uh, believe that. And if the subject shot uh, at the at the officers and they were grazed if, if, and that subject was in a, in a room, that means the subject shot through the walls and they should have returned fire. Um, and even you know, with the, even with the kids, harsh, even with the kids job. in there, even with the kids in there, your point, you, you're getting rounds that are coming from a direction. You shoot back immediately. Your subject is going to be there. It's not okay. a perfect science. It's an ugly science. But we're talking about murdered kids. It's ter- it's it's a disgusting situation that most people in the United States don't see. But it's what law enforcement deals with every day. So final subject area, thank you for being so gracious with your time. The book is called Stop the Killing, and there's no shame in, in plugging a good book. If you were in Congress, if Catherine Schweit now were a policymaker and not a retired FBI agent, what is it you'd most want to do? Geez, I'd want to see some movement on some things. I don't think, uh, you know, I'm not a politician and I'm not a policymaker, and you're so much more adept at that. So now I, the roles have switched, but... You know, and I try to stay always uh, in the neutral zone of facts and figures. Um, there's no question that teenage minds are, are developing and younger minds. It, it's much more difficult. I don't see a problem in raising the uh, the age to buy a long gun to 21. I don't see a problem in giving us a little bit more time for waiting periods. I don't see a big problem in limiting the uh, the uh, the amount of uh uh, weapons that you can buy at a particular time. I don't see those. I think there are, there's room, and I just feel like uh, there's, you know, I'm, I teach a class in the Second Amendment uh, for DePaul University's College of Law. I, I te- I've been teaching it for a few years. And, you know, so I know the Second Amendment law pretty well. And I don't, and the Heller decision um, and, and the decision that will come, none of those decisions uh, that will follow on the New York pistol case uh, we'll get this summer. None of those decisions are going to be in conflict with the things that I just talked about. Heller specifically talked about that. The Heller specifically said that that the legislature has plenty of room to work in this area, and that's where that's where I think they can do. I think they can make the changes if they want to. And I just I just fear there isn't a will to make some changes that are going to make us a little safer. And and, okay. that, and that's a discredit to everybody else who who is honest and carries a gun because they okay. want to. Okay, wipe the slate clean, catch your breath. Catherine Schweit, I heard her on radio today. She was on with uh, Samara Kanich, and she was saying very interesting things, and she's very well credentialed. What's the big takeaway that you want to leave us with? Only you can t- protect yourself and those around you. So if you see something, you have to say something. You have to learn to run, hide, fight. And you have to believe that you can prevent shootings around you by taking care of those around you. My gosh, be kind. Well, you're excellent, and I'm very grateful. Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. Catherine Schweit is a retired FBI agent, retired in 2017 after 20 years, created and ran the agency's active shooter program after the shootings at Sandy Hook School in 2012. She's the author of Stop the Killing, and I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. She was tremendous. There's a lot of fodder there for a follow-up conversation, not the least of which is what she said at the end. you got to take care of yourself. You've got to take care of yourself and, and, tested by time, run, hide, fight. That model still stands up, says she. 
Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.